Hi, I'm Robert Jeffress, and I'm glad to serve as your Bible teacher every day on this great radio station on today's edition of Pathway to Victory. Jesus is the only way to heaven. That claim was the cornerstone of the early church, and it is the claim that landed the apostles right into jail for the very first time. Today, we're going to look at why truly there is no other name than the name of Jesus. If you have your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 4. Welcome to Pathway to Victory with author and pastor, Dr. Robert Jeffress. Persecution is on the rise, not only around the world, but in America as well. If you support Christian values like the sanctity of life and the institution of marriage, well, then you can't expect to be mocked and ridiculed. Today on Pathway to Victory, Dr. Robert Jeffress instructs us on how to respond not if, but when persecution comes. Now, here's our Bible teacher to introduce today's message. Dr. Jeffress? Thanks, David, and welcome again to Pathway to Victory. The Apostle Peter was well known for making blunders. Sometimes the words slipped out of his mouth without a filter, and it was embarrassing. But I'm going to suggest that Peter's greatest moment is displayed in Acts chapter 4. He was standing before a group of hostile adversaries. Under intense pressure, Peter did not cower. He said these now famous words, There is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. That name, of course, is Jesus. Wouldn't you love to possess Peter's bravery? Well, my friend, you can. The secret, as we'll see in today's study, was that Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit. And the same Holy Spirit of God is available to you and me today. I've written a book on this topic. It's called Unstoppable Power. You're invited to request your copy when you give a generous gift to support the ministry of Pathway to Victory. Plus, when you reach out with your generous gift today, it'll be applied to the Unstoppable Power Matching Challenge. Because of this incredible matching challenge, your gift will have twice the impact. Every dollar you give between now and July 4th will be channeled to helping your family and countless others become grounded in their Christian faith. You see, when listeners apply the biblical lessons they learn on Pathway to Victory, they become unstoppable. David and I will say more about the matching challenge in my book later in today's program. But right now, I want to jump back into our study in the New Testament book of Acts. We're now in Acts chapter 4, and I titled today's message, No Other Name. If you remember your American history, you'll remember that Vice President Aaron Burr and Alexander Hamilton weren't the best of friends. In fact, they would end up in a duel in 1804 that would cost Hamilton his life. Hamilton's story that is told in the wildly successful musical by the same name recounts the first time Hamilton and Burr met on a street in New York. And Alexander Hamilton asked Burr for some advice about how to succeed in his career. And you remember the answer. Talk less, smile more. Never let them know what you're against or what you're for. Unfortunately, too many churches, too many pastors have adopted that philosophy when it comes to sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Don't say anything offensive. You'll lose your crowd. Don't say anything that's divisive or you really won't be successful. And yet, the most offensive thing you can say when sharing the gospel 
that Jesus is the only way to heaven, that offensive claim was the cornerstone of the early church. And it is the claim that landed the apostles right into jail for the very first time. Today, we're going to look at why truly there is no other name than the name of Jesus. If you have your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4, we've come to the first instance of persecution in the newly birthed church. Look at verse 1. As they were speaking to the people, that is Peter and John, the priest and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to them. They interrupted them. And so they were particularly offended by the teaching of Peter and John. Verse 2 says they were greatly disturbed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And so they laid hands on them and put them in jail until the next day for it was already evening. Now that evening had come, it was unlawful to have a trial. So they put them in jail. And they probably thought maybe a night in the clinker would cool their jets a little bit as well. But even though Peter and John were in prison, guess what? The Word of God wasn't imprisoned. The Word of God kept working. Verse 4 said, but many of those who had heard the message of Peter and John believed, and the number of the men came to be about 5,000. Remember, after Pentecost, it was 3,000. People kept being added to the church because of their belief in the message. They were in jail for the night. So what happened the next day? Well, verse 5 says, not only were they arrested in the name of Jesus, but secondly, they were tried because of the name of Jesus. Look at verse 5. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes were gathered together in Jerusalem. And Annas, the high priest, was there. And Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of high priestly descent. Do you know who John and Alexander were? Neither do I. I don't know who they were. Nobody knows who they were. We never find them mentioned again here. We don't know who John and Alexander were, but we certainly know who Annas and Caiaphas were. Caiaphas was the current high priest. He succeeded his father-in-law, Annas, but they were both talked about as high priests. Remember, it was Caiaphas and Annas in Matthew 26, who two months earlier had presided over the first trial of Jesus. And so, they bring uh, Peter and John before them. Look at verse 7. They place them in the center and they begin to inquire by what power or in what name. Underline that. Have you done this? He could say, well, we did it in the name of God. We all believe in God. No, no. What name have you done this? Verse 8, Peter filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, Peter had already been baptized with the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2. The word fill means to control. Peter was filled. He was controlled with the Holy Spirit. And he said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are on trial today for a benefit done to a sick man as to how this man became well, <laughs> I mean, this was on the borderline of being cocky. Uh, Peter was saying, let's rewind here for a minute. Do you really want to put us on trial for healing somebody? Is there a law against healing people? But if you want to go down that road, and you want to know who it is that gave us the authority, I'm happy to tell you who it was. Let it be known 
verse 10, to all of you and to all the people of Israel that it was by the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, whom you crucified, you murdered, whom God raised from the dead. It is by this name, this man stands before you in good health. It was the name of Jesus. And by the way, if you want to keep talking about the name of Jesus, let me tell you this as well. Verse 12, there is no salvation in anyone else. There is no name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved except the name of Jesus. Now, I would be guilty of pastoral negligence if I didn't stop here for a moment and point out what this verse is saying There is salvation in no one else except the name of Jesus. This is a foundational teaching of the Christian faith. That's what the apostles believed. That is what they said. What was the reaction of these Jewish leaders when they heard Peter throw it into their face like that? Look at verse 13. Now as they observed the confidence of Peter and John, and understood that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed and began to recognize them having been with Jesus. They were surprised at the power of Peter and John's words, of their confidence, of their courage. Why? Two reasons. First of all, from their perspective, these apostles were ignoramuses. (laughs) They were untrained, uneducated, simply because they hadn't graduated from an accredited school, a rabbinical school that the Sadducees ran. How could they be so knowledgeable without going through our schools? But the second reason they were amazed is they began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. It dawned on them that these were the same guys who had been following Jesus for the last three years. When Peter spoke, they said, hey, isn't that the same guy who was hiding outside of Caiaphas' house talking to that servant girl? Wasn't it the apostles who deserted Jesus on the day of his death? They were amazed that these men who were cowards before were now such courageous witnesses for the Lord. What changed them? They had seen the resurrected Christ. And that's what gave them the courage to do what they do. So what happened? Well, these leaders realized we've got a problem. These guys aren't about to back down. And furthermore, we've got a man who's been healed. We've got an exploding movement called Christianity. What are we going to do? So they said, well, maybe we can just threaten these guys and tell them not to preach in the name of Jesus. And so notice thirdly, the apostles were threatened because of the name of Jesus. Verse 18 And when they had summoned them, that is Peter and John, they commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John refused to back down. And they answered to them and said, whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than to God, you be the judge. You know what he's saying? He's really getting bold here. He's saying, hey, If you want to have a little debate about civil disobedience and whether we ought to obey you or obey God, you can have that debate all day and all night. But that's not our problem. We know what we're going to do. We will not stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. There is no compromise here. The compromise would have been very easy and understandable at this point. Peter and John could have said to themselves, you know, we're not doing the church any good while we're here in prison. This church needs leadership. It's exploding in growth. 
We don't want to give up our platform and ability to have an influence in the world and to preach the gospel. So maybe we'll just make a little bit of a change and we'll refer to God instead of Jesus. We'll talk about the Messiah without actually naming the name of Jesus. What harm could that do? They said, we're having none of it. We're not going to stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. They understood there was something special about the name of Jesus Christ. You know, I remember so well, the first time I was confronted about using the name of Jesus and threatened for doing so. I was a student in high school. I was the president of our student council. And one of my duties was to lead the prayer. Remember those prayers in school? Well, I was uh, supposed to lead the prayer at the opening football game of the season. And uh, our school was going to play another school in the Dallas area that had a large Jewish population. And so the administrators of our school said, now, Robert, when you pray, we know you're one of those Jesus freaks. They didn't say that, but that's what they meant. They said, when you pray, be sure and not pray in the name of Jesus. That would offend our Jewish guest. And then they made the very not-so-subtle threat. They said, if you do, you risk being removed from your position. And I thought about it for about a nanosecond. And I thought, well, I don't want to be removed from my position. I've got a great opportunity to share the gospel because of my leadership position, and I have all kind of plans on how to utilize that. Maybe I will agree to their request. But then I thought, you know, I've just given my life a year earlier to be a pastor, to preach the gospel. And if I compromise here and now on this, I'm going to spend the rest of my ministry compromising. So when I prayed, I prayed in the name of Jesus. And guess what? They didn't do a thing about it. No problem. Fast forward 46 years after that. It was a Sunday night in May of 2018. I was standing in the lobby of the King David Hotel in Jerusalem. I was there because the administration had invited me the next day to lead the opening prayer for the dedication of the new U.S. Embassy in Jerusalem, a truly historic event. We were standing there in the lobby talking to some state official, uh, officials of the State Department and some media who were there to cover the event. And suddenly they started asking me about a news story that was breaking back in the United States earlier on Sunday. Senator Mitt Romney had tweeted out a scathing tweet about me, criticizing the president for inviting me, a religious bigot, to deliver the prayer at the embassy opening. And suddenly the media all that Sunday evening began covering the story, and they pulled up all of my quotes about how Jews can't be saved apart from Jesus Christ. I literally stayed up the whole night that Sunday night doing interviews back here in the States. Would the administration pull me from saying the prayer? Would I pray in the name of Jesus and embarrass our country? What was I going to do? And the next morning when I stood before that crowd at the embassy opening, I looked out on the audience. There were hundreds of press there. Every representative from every country just about was there. And I looked down, and there in front of me was the Prime Minister of Israel, Benjamin Netanyahu, the Secretary of Israeli Defense, the President's Jewish daughter and Jewish son-in-law, 
And I'll have to admit to you, there's a little bit of nervousness there. Was I going to embarrass our country? Was I going to go through the ridicule? Couldn't I fudge just a little bit for diplomatic purposes? And so in my prayer, I talked about how God had used the Jewish people. It is through the Jewish people that we received the knowledge of the true God. It was through the Jewish people that we received the prophets, that came the scriptures, that came the Messiah of the world. And when I came to the end of the prayer, I didn't pray just in the name of Jesus. I prayed in the name of the one who came and died and rose again that we might have eternal life. Our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, it's in his saving name that we pray. Now, I'm not telling you that story because I'm some kind of hero. I'm not. There are other times I should have been stronger than I was. But here's my point. What's in a name? Salvation is in the name of Jesus. There's salvation in no other. And if we waffle and waver on that, we might as well disband as a church. There is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. How did they react to this? Did they punish them? <laughs> no, verse 21. When they had threatened Peter and John further, they let them go, finding no basis on which to punish them on account of the people, because they were all glorifying God for what had happened. And that leads to the result of this episode. Fourth, the early church was strengthened because of the name of Jesus. Look at verse 23. I love this. When they had been released, they went to their own companions, that is the church, and reported all that the chief priest and the elders had said to them. And when they heard this, they lifted their voices to God with one accord and they said, oh Lord, it is you who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. They prayed this magnificent prayer of thanksgiving to God, and they closed the prayer in verse 29. This is the church praying, and now, Lord, take note of their threats and grant that your bondservants may speak your word with all confidence. God, give us the same confidence our leaders, Peter and John, displayed that we might speak the name of Jesus with confidence. And what was the result of that? Verse 31 said, and when they had prayed... The place where they had gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak the word of God with boldness. That was the beginning of the explosion of the church. When they saw the boldness of their leaders, they said, Lord, give us that boldness as well. What does this passage say to us today, 2,000 years later? I want you to jot down very quickly three timeless truths from Acts chapter 4. First of all, believing in the name of God offers the only way to heaven. That's the most basic truth in this passage. This isn't theological or theoretical. It's practical truth. There's only one way for you to be saved. There's only one way for me to be saved, and it is by trusting in Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. There is no other salvation path other than faith in Christ. Years later, after this experience, the Apostle John, when he was an old man, 
wrote these words in 1 John 5, 13. These things have I written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know you have eternal life. Second truth, sharing the name of Jesus is the most loving thing we can do for others. It's the most loving thing we can do for others. Don't fall for this line that you're somehow a bigot or a hate monger if you insist to people that Jesus is the only way to be saved. That's the most loving, compassionate thing you can do for other people. You're not doing something that's going to hurt them. You're doing something that's going to lead them to salvation. And finally, proclaiming the name of Jesus will lead to persecution. Don't be surprised. You may experience trouble. Don't misunderstand the source of that trouble. Satan is very subtle. He knows exactly what it will take to shut you up. He will send things in your life to distract you, to discourage you, even to destroy you. Things that have nothing to do possibly with sharing Jesus, but the goal is very, very clear to shut your mouth from proclaiming the name of Jesus to anybody. And what is true for you and me individually is true for us as a church. Listen to me, church. God has granted the First Baptist Church of Dallas one of, if not the largest platforms in the world for sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Every week we are reaching millions of people. Do you think Satan's going to allow that to continue unchallenged? Of course not. He is going to send things into the life of this church to distract us, to discourage us. Things that may not seem to have anything to do with sharing the gospel, don't forget his tactics. He is trying to destroy this church to shut us up. And he is not going to succeed in doing that. We have been here for 153 years and we're not going anywhere until we go to heaven at the rapture. And I'm committed to you as a pastor. We're not backing up. We're not waffling. We're not wavering. We're not going to allow an ungodly government to silence our voice for any reason whatsoever. We're not going to allow it to happen. We are going to keep sharing without apology and hesitation that there is salvation in no one else. There is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. At First Baptist Dallas, where I pastor, we believe this to be true. Peter said, there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Well, on this Friday edition of Pathway to Victory, let me urge you to finish out your week by getting in touch with us. When you do, I'd like to send you my brand new book called Unstoppable Power. It chronicles the courage of Peter and many of the other first century Christians based on the book of Acts. Again, the book is called Unstoppable Power, and you're welcome to request your copy when you give a generous gift to support Pathway to Victory. But that's not all. 
a number of families have rallied around Pathway to Victory and offered to set aside an amazing, unstoppable power matching challenge. Because of their generous giving, your gift today will be automatically matched and therefore doubled in size. That means your generous gift of $50 becomes $100. A gift of $100 becomes $200. A gift of $1,000 would be matched until it became $2,000. When this matching challenge expires, July 4th, Pathway to Victory will invest the entire proceeds in reaching more people right here in America and around the world to embolden their faith in Jesus Christ. I can assure you from personal experience that aligning yourself with Jesus Christ will always draw plenty of criticism. Gratefully, I never feel alone because of the generous friends just like you. Thanks for standing with us as together we uphold the name above all names, the name of Jesus. David? Thanks, Dr. Jeffers. Today, when you invest in the ministry of Pathway to Victory by giving a generous gift, We'll say thanks by sending you the brand new book by Dr. Jeffress called Unstoppable Power. Call 866-999-2965 or visit our website at ptv.org. And when your gift is $100 or more, we'll also send you the complete collection of audio and video discs for the Unstoppable Power teaching series. Plus, we'll also send you a study guide to use on your own or maybe with a small group. And don't forget, every dollar you give right now will be doubled by our Unstoppable Power Matching Challenge. That's until we reach a goal of $500,000. So be sure to contact us right away. One more time, call 866-999-2965 or go to ptv.org. You could also write to us. Here's that mailing address, P.O. Box 223-609, Dallas, Texas, 75222. Again, that's P.O. Box 223-609, Dallas, Texas, 75222. I'm David J. Mullins, wishing you a great weekend. Then join us next week when Dr. Jeffress continues his study in the Book of Acts called Unstoppable Power. That's right here on Pathway to Victory. Pathway to Victory with Dr. Robert Jeffress comes from the pulpit of the First Baptist Church of Dallas, Texas.